The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by HubSpot. Imagine growing a business with high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, and wildly happy customers. It's not a miracle. It's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today. Hello, my friend, and welcome to another episode of Negotiate Anything. Thanks for spending time with us today. It's listeners like you in 181 different countries that have made Negotiate Anything the most popular negotiation and conflict resolution podcast in the world. I'm your host, Kwame Christian. I'm a business lawyer, mediator, professor, and the director of the American Negotiation Institute. Before we get started, I have two quick questions for you. Is negotiation a critical part of what you do? Do you need to resolve conflict and persuade at work? If you answered yes to both of those questions, visit our website to learn more about our negotiation workshops. We've traveled the country working with professionals just like you, and we'd love to have the opportunity to work with you too. Check out the link in the description to learn more. Jean-Nicolas, thanks for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. No, it's our pleasure, my friend. So how would you get us started by telling us a little bit about yourself and what you do? Sure. So my name is JN. I am an assistant professor at McGill University in the Faculty of Management, and I mostly do uh, teach classes on negotiation. Um, I, I've started teaching negotiations five years ago with a background in organizational behavior. And I think, you know, it, I, I just love it. I've just caught the bug of negotiation, and uh, I realized how important of a tool it was. And and I've just been excited about it ever since. That's fantastic. And yeah, a lot of people, I, I hear that same thing. I know I was the same way when I discovered negotiation. Um, what was it for you that got you so excited when, when you learned about the power of negotiation? I've always been pretty excited about negotiation. When I was uh, an undergrad, I remember taking a couple of negotiation classes. Um, this was always something that I thought was, was very interesting, a form of art. Uh, then when I was doing my doctoral work and my research as a professor, I started looking at the science of negotiation and so how researchers were trying to map the territory of negotiation. So that was also very interesting to me. Um, that's what motivated me to teach negotiation or to ask to request to teach negotiation. But I think what really, really motivated me the most is realizing um, that the students who were coming to me and coming in my class were not so much motivated into like, um, you know, winning and, and getting an edge and, and all that kind of like aggressive type of negotiation, which I thought they would because I'm in a, you know, I'm in a, I'm in a business school. So I really thought they would be like sharks and they would just come and I would only have finance people. So what motivated me the most is that actually a lot of young women started attending my class and a lot of, you know, more quiet type of people. And they were not there to like have an edge. They were there to learn how to stand their ground. They were there to learn how to be more assertive, how to ask for what they want. And that really became a lot more meaningful to me because then the change is, is, pretty amazing for people who are mostly avoiding negotiation to suddenly, you know, standing their ground, being assertive, asking for what they want. I think it's just like an amazing thing to see. So, so that's really what got me like the most excited about negotiation. 
That's great. Yeah. I, I think once people recognize that negotiation is more than just a transactional business tool, it's actually a life skill. I, it, it can be really life changing. And I know I don't need to tell the listeners that they've been listening for a while, so they know. But it, it's, it's, it's great to have somebody else who's like minded here on the podcast. And so listeners today, the three things we're going to talk about. Number one, understanding and managing negotiation stress. Then number two, how cognitive biases impact negotiations. And then lastly, the importance of negotiation training. And I love how kind of going based on what you just said, we're hitting the, the science first and then finishing up with a bit of the art. So this, this is really great. So what do we need to know about managing stress in negotiations? I think it's important to know um, that negotiation stress is a lot more widespread than people think. Uh, when you meet people in the classroom or outside of class, uh, a lot of times, you know, they share with you that they're very nervous about negotiating or they're trying to rationalize why they shouldn't negotiate because they're trying to avoid it. And they feel very ashamed. It's it's a silent affliction. It's something that people just keep inside and they just like marinates inside and they just don't say it because they're a bit ashamed of that. Um, if you can look at a bunch of studies that have been done and they show that around 60% of people avoid every negotiation they, they're faced with, including the most important important one, which is your uh, employment negotiation. So um, it's, it's a huge missed opportunity. And I think it really shows how stress can really get the best of you and, and kind of prevent you from just asking for something that you really want. Um, there's also research showing that if you, if you avoid it, then you regret it. So that means, you know, you really can't win by avoiding a conflict or by avoiding a discussion. You really have to tackle it. So um, I, think, I think it's important to know that it's widespread. It's important to know that it's normal, that people are stressed. If you don't have a lot of practice negotiating because you avoid it all the time, how, how could you be good at it? And so, of course, you're going to be nervous about it. It's normal. Um, if you if you are negotiating your pay or your salary, you're literally negotiating with an expert negotiator who does that all day with hundreds of people. Um, so it's normal to be nervous. But I think what's important to know as well is um, in most cases, asking is enough to get what you want. Um, so so if you ask, even if you're nervous, you're likely to get at least part of what you want. Um, and then just to finish, I think it's fine if you look nervous during a negotiation. I think it's completely okay. Uh, people are, are used to people being nervous about negotiating. Um, so, so I think, you know, don't psych yourself out. You don't have to look like, you know, you do that for a living. Uh, just ask. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and I love that you you started with uh, normalization, right? Because one of the things that makes emotion management so difficult is the fact that oftentimes it's not just that we feel bad, but we also feel bad about feeling bad, which makes us feel worse, right? Because we're judging ourselves and we have that internal critic in our minds uh, that makes us feel worse about it. And so one of the best ways to become um, a little bit more adept in managing your emotions is just accepting and appreciating the fact that you are not alone in this. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And also there's a lot of pressure now, you know, in being competitive and aggressive and all that kind of stuff. And so if you're not part of that category, right, let's just say you're not the most like outspoken person or maybe you're, you, you just, your natural tendency is to like shut down if you're in a conflict. It doesn't mean you can't be a good negotiator. It just means you need to understand, you know, how you work and, and how things are. And that's it, you know. Um, I, I, I think, you know, we, 
we tend to associate kind of like abstract complex meanings with negotiating or in reality it's really just saying like hey like uh, that's my issue and that's what I that's what would solve my issue like can we find something together and there is really no stress to have here right if you just see it the right way I think you know people psych themselves out um, I think also something that's really important to know um, about about negotiation is people also believe that nobody negotiates and that nobody is like actually asking for raises or things like that. It, it's it's really not the case. You're like roughly forty percent of people do it, and they're they're super happy about it. <laughs> so you know they express no regret. They got what they wanted. Everything was fine. Um, so so I think it really is a matter of like in what category would you want to be. Yeah. And so for people um, listening, I think one of the things that you've mentioned that's really powerful but easy to overlook is the fact that you don't need to be somebody you're not in these negotiations. And really what you're saying is you're, we need to mobilize authenticity. And when you think about the um, a, a lack of confidence, a lot of times a lack of confidence comes from a lack of skill. And I know we're going to get to that uh, the that third part where we're talking about negotiation training. But think about this too. Let's 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 break this down. So let's say you're not very confident in your negotiation skills, which creates more stress. Most likely, you're not in the acting field either. So you're probably not very confident in your acting skills. And so here you are trying to do something you're not good at while acting like somebody <laughs> you're not. And so you're creating all of these additional layers of psychological trauma that are unnecessary in these conversations. You know, it's interesting because it did take me a while to, to realize that this was such a widespread issue because I'm, I'm kind of like the opposite in the sense that I really, I would be a terrible actor. Um, and I, I just like, I wear my emotions on my face um and, and also like i care a great deal about you know being authentic and i really it, it's it's a bigger problem for me to like hide what i think than to have the consequences of expressing what i think so i much prefer to say what i think but so it was a bit of an issue to me in the very beginning to to understand like why would someone not get into the face of somebody else like if they have an issue right why would they not do that and so the same way that for me, you know, it's realizing like if you get into someone's face, you're not getting what you want. Like you're not going to get what you want. It's not the right way to do this. So this is something that I curb. I think it's the same way about, you know, being assertive. Uh, of course, it's uh, you have like natural instincts and, you know, you, you're going to react a certain way. Maybe your thing is to shut down. Uh, but it doesn't mean that's what you have to do, right? It's like mind over mood. Uh, you can decide that right now you don't have to let your reptilian brain just like go to fight or flight you can you can actually realize that this situation is not as scary as it should and or as it or as, as it seemed um and so so i think you know it, it's really an important aspect in my opinion to just realize well like sometimes saying no is just saying no you know i, I have so many people who tell me like i don't know like how can i say no <laughs> and i'm always telling them like you just just like that you just say no but I think, you know, when people have an issue saying, like, say, they, they just don't know how to say it. And I tell them, like, you're going to have to say no. Hi, I'm Catherine Kanapke, and I'm the Chief Operating Officer here at the American Negotiation Institute. Did you know our company offers completely customizable negotiation workshops? 
The negotiation and conflict resolution skills that your team will learn from these workshops are beneficial across all professions, but they're especially useful in procurement, purchasing, sales, sourcing, and contract management. Our calendar is filling up quickly, and we even have some workshops scheduled for next year. If you think you might want one, I'd suggest reaching out soon so you don't miss out. Check out the link in the description to learn more. Also, be sure to check out our YouTube, LinkedIn, and Instagram accounts to see our daily negotiation content. Thanks for listening. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. In the last 100 years, we've seen financial markets swing, new currencies come and go, decades of savings lost in days, all showing that a retirement plan without a guarantee, quite simply, isn't enough. So more than a retirement plan, TIAA makes you a retirement promise. A promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. A promise that pays off. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by HubSpot. More to-dos, less time, and so many tools to keep track of. Doing business can be hard, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You just need HubSpot. Their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, higher quality leads, fast closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today. Like, don't, like, you're not, there's no way to say, to say no, but mean yes, or like, you know, you don't, you can't do that. And and so I think, you know, it's, it's something that's very, very common in, in organizations. It's uh, people who are people pleaser. And, you know, they really want to have good relationships at work and some other people take advantage of that. And, and, you know, you end up like, I don't know if you, if your um, auditors can relate to that, but you end up saying yes to everything because you're worried about, you know, breaking friendships or you're worried about saying no. And I think, you know, at, at, at some point it becomes tiring, right? And, and at some point you realize like, maybe I'll get more respect if I say no. Absolutely. And it's critical. It's critical. And there were two things in there that I think were golden because you said, and you correct me here if I'm wrong on this, you said your natural tendency was to be a little bit, maybe even crossing the line from assertive to aggressive. And then you recognize you had to pull that back. I always joke that I'm not passive aggressive. I'm just aggressive. Like that's, (laughs) you know, I always say that, but it's true. I've been told that many times, but, um, yeah, I think, you know, we, we all have different tendencies. Yeah, absolutely. And so here's the thing. The thing that's really cool about this is that when you're thinking about the, the fact that you recognize you might have gone a little bit too far sometimes, but at the same time, you recognize the need to be authentic. People might in their mind be creating a, a false dichotomy where they say, well, how can those two things be true at the exact same time? And I think really what com- it comes down to is the difference between editing and rewriting right? Because you're not rewriting your book. The book of Jean-Nicolas is not being rewritten to be somebody else. But what you're doing is you're recognizing that this manuscript in its raw form needs some editing, right? So it's still the essence of you, but just cleaned up as necessary to serve your strategic purposes in the interaction. Yeah, I mean, I think I think one of the reasons um, uh, people are are nervous about negotiating is because they it doesn't come up in their mind like how like what it would look like like how they would behave themselves like they just can't see themselves doing it and so they just rely on like you know the the fight or flight situation like the impulse 
right? And so this is why, like, you know, some people become very aggressive and some people just shut down. But deep inside, it's it's the same thing. Is you're worried that your boundaries are not going to be respected. And so whether you shut down because you just prefer to ignore it, you don't even want to deal with it, or whether you go into the other party's face because you just want to make sure they realize you have boundaries. I mean, it's equally dysfunctional in the sense that you're not you're not getting what you want. If you don't say it, the other person can't know it. Like they can't read your mind. And if you get into their faces, um, you know, the other party is not really, I mean, they would be a really good negotiator if they de-escalate you and manage to get a good deal, but that would not be thanks to you. That would be thanks to them, <laughs> right? So, so I think, you know, it's just a matter, and I agree with you, it's really not rewriting at all. It's more saying like, what's the appropriate behavior for me to reach my goal? And I think, by the way, if you have listeners who are, um, who also deal with like, oh, I tend to be too aggressive, right? Because I'm just worried, I'm, I'm stressed out. I have this thing that I really do all the time and I mean, not all the time, but it it works. It works almost every time. Um, it's a piece of advice that was given like 20 years ago, and it's basically we tend to be aggressive in negotiation because we assume the other party's intent, and we tend to. And and of course, you know, our mind is like working into these horrible scenarios of like what the other party is trying to do, and like all that kind of stuff. We have no clue what they're trying to do. We just see their behavior, right? We don't know what they're thinking. So then, what I do is everything the other party tells me. I strip away, kind of like with bleach, I strip away the tone, any aggression, uh, insinuations, passive aggression, like anything that could trigger me. I just take it out and I decide to just rephrase it in my mind in terms of like basic facts, meaning what is it exactly they want to know? So they could be saying like, oh, like maybe insinuating your product is inferior and you're upset by that, right? It doesn't matter. It, you're not like being upset by it is not going to get you closer to signing the contract. That's not what it's going to do. So you need to find another strategy. And so how do you do that? Well, the better strategy will be to convince them that your product is actually superior. Doesn't matter they just judged you. Doesn't matter they said it with a tone. Doesn't matter they seem certain about it. All of that is irrelevant. The, the thing is, you're not going to get them to sign it unless you convince them. Absolutely. And again, you were spot on. I think this is a great segue to that second point about cognitive biases, because essentially what you're demonstrating is that a lot of times what's going to happen is that we're most likely going to fill in our gaps in understanding with our biases. And then if we're seeing this interaction as a stressful interaction, if we're seeing this person or this situation as a threat, we're most likely going to interpret the situation negatively. And so this, this is really fascinating because what you've outlined is a process within the process. Because we talk about negotiation as a process that we move through conversationally. But what you demonstrated there, and I don't want the listeners to miss this, is a process by which you strip away the, the problematic interpretations so you could just absorb what you need to absorb and then make the, ne the best move your next move. Yeah, it's it's not always easy in the sense that it's kind of like a, sometimes it's a bit of a struggle because I think your ego tries to get in the way. But I do think it's almost the the way I make it work for myself is I'm always I'm kind of in the back of my mind thinking like I'm outsmarting this person. Like I am I am doing better. I'm actually doing something good for both of us. And, and so that's, that's kind of like the way I'm thinking it, like, don't go down to the level. And plus, you never know what the other person, you know, might be going through that day. And so I think, you know, to go back to the cognitive biases, um, it's really interesting because the, there is a bias that, 
you know, has been invented, you know, in the 70s, which is the fundamental attribution error. And it's interesting because for some reason, it really has not permeated uh, like pop psychology, which you would really, really think it would because it is it is such an like to me, it colors every social interaction we have. And so I really I think everybody should know about it. And it's just this very, very simple idea that when people behave a certain way, we can either attribute the causes of their behavior to external causes, meaning the environment made them do what they did or internal causes, which is, you know, their behavior reflects who they are at, at the core, right? That's who they are. And, and so for ourselves, we tend to make a lot of external attributions or sometimes internal when it's flattering, meaning, you know, oh, I failed the test, but it's just because of the professor, of course, you know, like it's not because of me, it's the professor. So that's external. But if you win the test, you're going to think it's internal, like, oh, no, I went, I, you know, I got a great grade because, you know, I'm, I'm so smart. Um, but so we have, because for ourselves, we have kind of like the full picture of what's going on. But for other people, we don't really have anything. Like, we don't know what's going on in their lives. Uh, we don't know what's going on in their days. We have nothing about their personality. And so we, we have like the brain evolved into, you have two options. You can either say, well, that's just who they are, right? So it's easy, right? Or you can say, oh, it could be a million things. So let's think about the million things that could explain that behavior, Right. Um, I always give the example if you see like a mother at a supermarket yelling at a kid. Right. So what do you think? Do you think, um, oh, like she is a bad mom? Right. Or do you think, oh, she probably had a rough night or maybe she's like doing like a lot of work. So I think when we look at other people, we tend to make internal attributions. We tend to think their behavior reflects who they are, but we have to be as kind to other people as we are to ourselves. And that means, you know, that if somebody is in a bad mood, like don't assume it's who they are. They don't have to be like grumpy people. Maybe it's just a rough day, right? 100%. And it's so powerful when you, when you, give yourself that pass because a lot of times we we are you might listen to this and say to yourself okay well i'm giving them a pass that helps them no it also helps you because now you're performing at a higher level because you're having this conversation without thinking that the person on the other side is evil you know i think that makes it a lot harder for you to perform well when you actually assume malintent in the other person. Now, since you're assuming that, hey, you know, I'll give them the benefit of the doubt um, in this situation, then what it allows you to do is stay focused on what you're there to accomplish. And I, I know, we, I feel like I could talk to you forever, you know, but <laughs> let's, let's move on to that third point, uh, the importance of negotiation training. So um, listeners, I wanted, I wanted, I want you to know that this was not me plugging this in and having <laughs> JN give me like an alley oop here. You chose this, so so tell the listeners why this is so important. I think I think you have different types. You have two main types of negotiation trainers or negotiation, you know, instructors, um, and. And I've really seen both. Um, I think, you know, there is a portion of negotiation instructors who believe that not everyone can be a good negotiator, that there is a big part of it that's talent and that you're born with it or you're not born with it. And, you know, that, it, yeah, that's what they think. Um, I think, you know, um, I disagree. And I think a lot of uh, negotiation professors or instructors uh, disagree as well with that. 
if you if you really think about what does it mean to be a good negotiator, to me, a good negotiator is someone who uh, knows um, how to identify what they want, uh, can prepare for the negotiation, can ask for what they want, you know, in a rather normal manner, right, non-offensive manner, non-aggressive manner, and then have you know some arguments to explain and to support their ask, and then you know whatever outcome they get uh, is the outcome they get. I don't really negotiate. I don't really associate good negotiators with like getting amazing outcomes or constantly outperforming everyone. To me, a good negotiator is someone who is okay asking for what they want, you know, and is okay making a good case for it. So when you think about it, it's actually not that hard to be a good negotiator. All you need is some structure. You just need to know, like, how do you ask for things? Um, how do you see things? And I think a big part uh, of negotiation training is also debunking a few myths about what negotiation is. And so that's why like, I created that newsletter, Master Negotiators, um, a few months ago, where you know, I go every week and I have like master negotiators who give advice on different topics. Next week, we have one on, re on human resources, because a lot of candidates have um, you know, misconstrued the relationship between uh, applicant and recruiter. And so I have five recruiters who are telling you like, no, we do expect you to negotiate. Uh, if you negotiate, you have to know the market really well because we do know the market really well and are giving you like a lot of this like insider information. So to me, that's all negotiation training. It's understanding the parameters of where you are and how you're going to negotiate, understand how to prepare, understand how to ask for things, understand how to argue for them, uh, make a case for yourself and, and get the outcome you get. That's And so this is why like it's so meaningful to me because literally anyone can do that it's just a matter of like giving it a shot and practicing and so i thought that's kind of like what makes it magic absolutely and i i agree 100 and you think about like you said at the very beginning some negotiation trainers think it's a talent and either you have it or you don't then the question is are you really training people or are you just uh, picking winners <laughs> from the beginning and taking credit for their skill that they already had you know and here's the thing uh, a lot of times going back to what we were talking about with bias, whether or not somebody says this person is a good negotiator is going to be dictated in large part due to their bias. I negotiate this way. And so if you don't negotiate this way, then you're not good. Or this is the model or archetype that I feel like a good negotiator is. And then you don't fit that build. You don't look like it. You don't sound like it. Then you're not a good negotiator. And the problem is that people absorb that message and then they start describing themselves in that way. I agree with you. I think it's it's so interesting. And this is why, I mean, I'm always very skeptical when people tell me they're good negotiators um, because a lot of times it's just a way to be a bit like cocky or like a bit, you know, to brag or something like that. Um, I think, you know, a good, I mean, from what I've defined what a good negotiator is, uh, when people say they're good negotiators, typically they mean kind of like the shark, the shark kind of thing. Oh, look at that deal. Like she didn't know, she didn't see it coming or or that kind of stuff. And you still see a lot of like uh, negotiation instructors. I mean, I, I'm subscribed to a bunch of newsletters because I have my own newsletter. And sometimes it, I mean, it just cracks me up. I mean, sometimes it's kind of like get this magnetic influence, you know, get people like people to do what you want and all that stuff. I mean, that's really not the way I see it. Like, that's really not like that doesn't appeal to me at all. 
Like, I really don't want to do any of that. Like, I don't want to influence people. I don't want to make them do things they don't want to do. Like, this is not at all what I want. And also, I don't believe it works. I really don't. I believe it's kind of like, like, you get short-term results. You don't get long-term results because people don't want to negotiate with you again uh, because you get a bad reputation. And so... All of these like little like little sales like sales tricks, you know, like sometimes about like this is this is how you destabilize the other person or things like that. Like, why would you want to destabilize the other person? Like, just have a, a reasonable <laughs> argument. Like, what the hell? Like, why do you have to do that? Like, you know. But for some reason, it's what they're pushing. You know, I just don't relate with that at all. And I do think the new generation doesn't either. You know, um, I can see like the the Generation Z. They really have something about being averse to conflict um, they want to be very authentic and they also want to make sure like their personal goals are aligned you know with the organizational goals uh, they, they don't want to do things that go against you know who they are so so all of that like weird you know um, like like irresistible influence and and all that kind of stuff you know um, no, let's just be practical. Like, right? Let's just be practical. This is how you prepare a negotiation. This is what you can expect. This is how you ask, you know, without being aggressive. And this is how you say no. I think you, you explain that to people, it's enough. They don't have to be irresistible, you know? Yeah. And, you know, honestly, uh, JN, if I'm being completely honest here, I know when I was growing, when I was like going through law school and reading all of these different materials, and then you have some of the people who are reasonable and, and practical in the way that they approach it and then you have the people who like you described um irresistible influence dominating people and all that stuff i used to look at myself like am i do i have what it takes because i've never felt like i was irresistible i don't i did, did, didn't even know what that would mean in the context of business regardless of the product service or skill set that you have they're just irresistible it's a bizarre thing and so i'm glad that you're here debunking this because it's really really problematic yeah, I mean, I completely agree with you. I mean, I don't fit, I don't think I fit any of these categories. And so and 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 plus like I really do think that, you know, as instructors, like if if we use this like definition of negotiation of what it is to be a good negotiator, I know I can deliver that. Um the rest like what they're promising about a resistible influence, like that's not you can't deliver that. And and they can sell that they're delivering it, but they're not, you know, they're just talking about it and talking about it to a crowd. I, I, what I'm trying to do is actually teach like actual negotiation skills that make an actual difference, you know, for people's lives. Uh, but, but I think, you know, I, I completely agree with you. I think, you know, there is like one thing that does make a difference that I think has helped me a lot in negotiation over the past. And, and I do, I advise it to my students every time, but I think, you know, especially like in contract negotiation or when you, when you go for a job, uh, my students, they always think of themselves as like this poor little thing, you know, like this poor little weak thing, you know, that's completely undesirable. And that's so lucky to have like, so lucky that a big, strong organization made them an offer. And I think, you know, um, although I'm aggressive, I, I naturally, my, my other tendency is to also consider myself an equal of absolutely everybody I talk to which is which is which helped me and hurt me in the past but i do have to say if you want to be treated an equal well you have to behave like one you know so so if you this is something that i see a lot and especially among young women who take my class which is they develop this rationale um 
I think they know it's it's not working, but they, they want to believe in it that, you know, what they're going to do is they're going to be really, really good at their work. And, and then, you know, the company will have no other choice but to give them without her even asking, right, to give them what they want. And the unfortunately, uh, you know, I, I see these students like a couple of years later, and I can tell you, like, they never get it. They never get it. If you don't ask for it, you don't get it. There's just no like unlimited resources out there that companies are starting to give limited resources to people who don't even ask for them. Um, so, and, and the problem is like, you know, then these people like they, they who don't negotiate, they start being resentful. You know, to the organization, they start being angry. They talk in the back of the organization. They're thinking of leaving and all that kind of stuff. So this is why I really think you know practical negotiation training solves that kind of problems. You don't have to be marinating in resentment. You know, having all of these like ideas swimming around your head. How am I going to say no? Like, so tired of people taking taking advantage of me. Like, you don't have to think about all of that. You can just do negotiation training, and then it's solved. Then you know how to say no. Um, and, and you know, you know how to do things. I do think though, it's also important to, to, to say that it doesn't mean you're never going to be nervous about it. You know, I think it's, it's just normal to be nervous about it. You know, Absolutely. people might not look nervous, but I think everybody is nervous. If you have, if you have like something, you know, big at stake, why would you not be nervous? That would be weird. Right. And I think that goes to the heart of the definition of courage. It's not being fearless. It's feeling the fear and doing it anyway. And really what it comes down to it is you've said it over and over and over again. And I want to make sure that the listeners get it is they're asking. And that's why uh, we named the other podcast Ask With Confidence, because if you're just asking, that's where most people fail in the negotiation because they don't ask for what they want, you know? So we have to stop thinking and then get to a point where we're doing, right? But it's, it's, so it's really interesting you're saying that because um, there is actually extremely limited research on what makes people avoid negotiations and what piece makes people um, uh, more likely to tackle a negotiation. But there is one piece of research that's been shown that especially women, if they reframe negotiating into asking, they're a lot more likely to get what they want because they're a lot more likely to be assertive about it. So to me, like that's a very, very interesting question. But I have to say uh, the entire field of negotiation, right? And even like if you look at the tutorials and, and all that kind of stuff, they're all presupposing that people are gonna be comfortable showing up to the negotiation table. And you can see like, if you have like a class of like 50 students, like you see that's not the case. Like this is not the case. So, so you know, this is why like there is little to no knowledge, you know, out there, you know, to really help, to really help people like take the step and actually show up before you can give them tools on like how to negotiate. I mean, they actually have to show up. They, they have to be there and ask for it. And, and that's, that's a different thing. You know, that's like, like a totally different thing. You know, it's not even about Zopa or Batna or whatever, right? It's, it's not about any of that. It's just like this psychological thing that's going on in people's minds um, and, and that they live like in silence, you know, just um, afflicted by that. Absolutely. And I know for a lot of listeners, they're, they're saying to themselves, man, this guy, JN, I need to hear more of him. I, I wonder if there's some kind of newsletter or resource. Could, yes. Could so, 
If you go on rate.net, which is R-E-Y-T.net, and then you click on newsletter, I have this newsletter that I issue every week um, where I, I talk about negotiation stress and how to overcome negotiation stress and basic uh, tips and, and, and tactics on how to negotiate. And I also started having um, expert negotiation experts come and, and you know, um, give short advice on different topics. And Kwame, I would love to have you in a future one. Um, and so, so yeah, I mean, the goal is really to create some sort of a community around people who want to be more comfortable negotiating, who want to have a practical approach to negotiation, um, and, and just want to get support and get more knowledge every week. This is fantastic. And everybody, we're going to have a link to that in the description below. John Nicolas, thank you so much. We really appreciate you coming in and, and sharing your knowledge with us. Thank you so much for having me, Kwame. Thank you. Congratulations, you've just joined an elite club. By listening to a full episode, you're now officially on the Negotiate Anything team. So welcome aboard. What most team members do is they subscribe to the podcast because that allows them to automatically get the latest episodes of the show. The best things in life lie on the other side of difficult conversations. Keep learning, keep practicing, and keep getting better. Your relationships will improve, your career will soar, and you'll have the confidence you need to get the most out of these crucial conversations. Again, thank you for joining the team. We're excited to have you, and I will see you in the next episode. I'll catch you later.